0: Happy New Year from BC Buckets Podcast, the official podcast for Briarcliff University Basketball. This is Matt Gall here in the coach's office at the Newman Flanagan Center with Coach Mark Sviguerra. And, and it's just the two of us today. We've got Kevin Pottebaum, the SID, here. He's across town uh, watching the women play over at Morningside today against Haskell. And Bobby Beach, Patterson, is nowhere to be found. Coach, what's he up to? Uh, today? Family Christmas today. Okay. so He,
1: he was disappointed. I, I told him this had a potential to be a pretty good one because of our guest who's going to join us later but uh, he had a family Christmas so you know you got to take care of the family this time of year. We'll give him an excused
0: absence on this one and uh, we'll see if we can get him back again this year at some point. I think he's hitting about maybe 50% for the year.
1: Yeah maybe if he's lucky. He's kind of Shaquille O'Neal from the free throw line.
0: So coach we talked on the last episode which was originally just supposed to be a quick little tell everyone Merry Christmas episode and that turned into basically a full episode and so we covered the games that took place down in Arizona where you guys uh, split in those contests. Uh, but it
1: looks like everyone got home safe. Overall, how was that trip for you guys? It was a great trip. You know, we had uh, obviously a chance to play a couple of games against teams that we would not normally see and, and two pretty dang good teams. You know, Arizona Christian in particular, like I said last week, you know, they were really, really good, and, and as much as it's disappointing that we lost and, and dug ourselves a deep hole in that game, I was really proud of the way the guys fought back, and then the second day, bouncing back and, and getting a pretty convincing win, you know, in a game that we controlled the whole way. It was a great trip. We had a chance to do some fun things. You know, we went to a little go-kart, mini-golf, batting cage park with the guys, and somehow I got stuck with the... The slow go-kart. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we took the guys to Top Golf. It was a great time just being around each other, enjoying some nice weather, you know, nothing but basketball and, and fun, basically, because, you know, school's over right now. Guys are on break from for semester and, uh, you know, got back safe. Um, the last couple days when it was pretty cold here, I was kind of dreaming about that Phoenix weather, to be honest with you. Okay. But uh, all in all, great trip. Guys had an opportunity to have five full days off after we got back to get home, see their families, enjoy Christmas. Um, and we came back Friday, so we've had a couple practices under our belt coming back. And it's actually kind of a nice deal. We're, we're not playing this weekend. A lot of years we have played, and it's, it's nice for us because we're going to end up with about five practices um, that we can really focus on ourselves. And, and we need that right now. Um, we've had a couple of really good ones. I would expect a couple more good ones before we get into games again uh, coming up this week. So you guys did some top golf. Who's
0: got the best swing on your roster? Not counting Bobby, who's a golfer for the Bradcliffe.
1: Well, I, I can't remember. I think overall best score, and if you're familiar with top golf, it's not necessarily about how good of a golfer you are. You right. have to hit the targets. Um, I think Nick Lutmer had the best overall score, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the coach's team struggled a little bit in the in the overall competition. Um it was myself, Coach Shipley, Coach Davis, Coach Schultz. Coach Herc, our strength coach, was with us. Um, and my wife Kara, who I don't think had ever swung a golf club before. That was our team. But uh my I gotta brag about my wife real quick. Never swung a club before. She did beat Coach Herc both games. Um, so he struggled a little bit that game. Sorry, Mm -hmm. coach. Um, but that that was a good time. Um so I think Lutmer had the best score. You know, Bobby obviously knows how to swing golf club. Will Johnson, pretty good golfer. Um, couple guys not very good golfers I'll leave them unnamed but they know who they are one of them was in the in the bay right next to mine so I had a up-close view of that Uh, but all in all like I said great trip and and we're fortunate at Briarcliff that we get a lot of support Uh, we can raise a lot of money to do some things like this with our guys that you know not every program gets to do
0: awesome yeah and and now you're back we're recording this on the Sunday before New Year's but everyone's listening to this either on the first or shortly thereafter and so uh, you know one thing I had to ask you about since a new year is always a chance for everyone to turn a new leaf. Are there any New Year's resolutions that you can publicly
1: share so we can all help hold you accountable? I don't believe in New Year's resolutions, Matt. I think uh, I think the statistics say that something like 80% of people are done with them by the time February rolls around anyway. And, uh, you know, why do you need to wait till January 1st to make a change in your life if you need to or want to make a change? Just do it. Mm -hmm. um you know and so no I don't have a new year's resolution um I'm looking into the new year just hoping we can be the best basketball team we can that's not a resolution that's just what we need to do right now um you know so as we look back though on on 2018 I would say you know in my biased opinion it was a pretty dang good year for Briarcliff basketball you know last year I went to the elite eight Mm -hmm. uh, back in March and went 12 and three to start The season this year as we head into 2019 and I think we're in a good spot and and I like being around our guys every day and uh, you know it's been a great year and we're looking forward to another great year in 2019.
0: And you guys kick off the 2019 portion of your schedule immediately on Wednesday the 2nd when you guys head down to Fremont Nebraska to take on Midland and uh, I don't know just all those Nebraska teams it seems like it's always tough to go down and, and play at the Midlands and the Dones and the Hastings. So, uh, you know, you've got Midland right away on Wednesday and then uh, Hastings actually comes to town on Saturday, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. But tell us what you know about Midland
1: and what you expect to see Wednesday night. Well, I think you hit the nail right on the head and you look at the last handful of years, we've actually had our struggles at Midland. You know, they beat us last year in a high-scoring game. A couple years back, we were really, really good. Um, They actually ended an 18-game winning streak we were on um, you know, and then before that've we, we've, we've had some really good games with them, but we've had a hard time winning games down there. Um, you know, and they, they have a nice team. They actually went 2 and0 over the weekend here, uh, beat Bellevue at Bellevue, which is a tough place to play. Um, Record wise, they're kind of right around 500. Uh, they have a lot of new guys this year. You know, guys we're not familiar with yet, and we haven't played them, and as you can watch them on film and all that. But until you play somebody, it's hard to get a great feel for them. But I, I know they're a well-coached team. They're going to compete really hard, especially on the defensive end. Um, you know, and it's it's a Pack road game. We're getting right back into it here on the road. Um, they've had some nice wins on the year. You know, they won up at Northwestern. Uh, they lost a tight game to Dakota Wesleyan in overtime. Um, I mean, they've played everybody. Even the games they've lost, they've played them really, really close and uh, so it's a game we're going to need to be ready from the get-go and something that we've been talking to our guys a lot about is we we have to quit digging ourselves holes you know three of the last four games we've played going back to northwestern bellevue and arizona christian three in a row there we had double digit first half first half deficits and that's something we we just can't do that's not a sustainable approach to anything um you know and so we've made a couple tweaks here and there to our pre-game to our practices just making sure that we're from the start of practice from the start of a game we're ready to compete at a high level and uh you know so that's what we're gonna do we're gonna go down there i'm sure it'll be a great game um it's hard to win on the road in this league and and one thing our guys have showed all year long is is a lot of resiliency and toughness on the road who's gonna take
0: over the tradition of the post win 60 meter dash if it comes to that
1: well it's definitely not gonna be me i'm never doing that again (laughs) um you know, and the thing is, Coach Shipley, he can't do it. He's way too fast. Yeah, He'd beat anybody. Right. He was a track star in high school. Um, you know, yeah. it might be – this might be an opportunity for an Ethan Erdman versus Bobby beach Patterson race, which actually happened at Hastings last year, and Ethan Erdman smoked him in a 40-yard. You know, but maybe that 20 extra yards will give Bobby an advantage. I don't know. But we'll we will see. We'll, we need to get a win, and then we'll cross that yeah, bridge.
0: one thing at a time. Uh, So like I said, then Hastings comes to town this Saturday, which is uh, January 5th, and that's for the CNOS Classic over at the Tyson Event Center here in town, an annual game that takes place over there. Um, And that game will deviate a little bit from your normal schedule. That game will be at 315 rather than a typical 4 o'clock Saturday game. So like I said, that will be a 315 tip-off over at Tyson Event Center against Hastings. And, you know, Coach, your guys play in that game over at the Tyson every year. So they, they know a little bit about, you know, playing in that big, wide open venue like that. But how, how does that, you know, that sort of spatial difference where the court's situated in such a big big building like that affect you know, how your guys take their approach to shooting and other things?
1: Well, it's definitely different. Um, you know, talking about a eight, nine thousand seat arena as opposed to the Flanagan Center or a lot of the G facilities we play in. Um, it's just more wide open. The backdrops are are bigger that you're shooting against. Um, but at the same time, we'll have an opportunity on on Thursday and Friday to get down there and get some shooting in, not a full practice, but we'll we'll have about forty five minutes both those days to get down and get a lot of shots up, give the guys the give the guys a feel um, for what they're gonna be playing in on Saturday. And the other thing I think is that you know a lot of our guys, come from high school programs who had a lot of success they played in state tournaments whether it's you know down in des moines or lincoln or sioux falls or anywhere else um so it's not completely foreign to them because they've been in that situation playing in big time arenas big time facilities before and, and i think in some ways you know if we're fortunate enough to make a national tournament it's not the exact same as the pentagon but you're mm-hmm. talking about a bigger arena type setting um it can also be a positive force moving forward too mm-hmm. so what do you know about
0: hastings they're they're typically a tough uh, a tough defensive team Um, always very physical, Uh, remind me in a lot of ways of of other Dort teams that we've seen in the past. So what do you know about this year's Hastings team?
1: Yeah, they have a nice team. You know, I I, I think their record's about 12 and four, um, something like that right now. They have some really nice wins. They won at Dakota Wesleyan, which we know that's a tough place to win. Um, They beat Nebraska Kearney, who's an NCAA Division II school here a week, week and a half ago. Um, And you said it, they're a tough physical team, always have been. Um, Coach Gavers does a good job with, it, with those guys. Um, they, they have a really outstanding guard in Kevin Miller um, and a good kind of hybrid big guy in Bart Hiscock. Those two guys really score it for him well. Um, and they, they play a little bit different style. They're less ball screen oriented than pretty much everybody in the G Um A little more old school is not the right word, but a lot of heavy off-ball screenings. Back, they, they lead the world in back screens, have for years and years. Um, and that's something that's, it's sometimes hard to prepare for. Um, but, it, you know, it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be two really good teams. I think it's going to be high-level basketball. I think it should be fun. And if you're around town, you know, all weekend, really check out the CNOS Classic. You know, you're going to get a lot of high school games. A lot of the local teams play. You're going to see some good basketball down at the Tyson Center.
0: So speaking of Hastings, uh, coach Figueroa, I know you've been excited about the guests we're bringing on this week. It's a name that's come up a couple times on the podcast already this year. And it sounds like you've had some stories with this guy. And so, uh, without any uh, further, uh, wasting time here, we'll just, we'll introduce our guest and I'm talking about former Hastings head coach, Lance Creech, who coached at Hastings college from 2002 to 2013 and is now the head coach for Hastings high school, uh, Lance, Thanks for joining us today. You bet. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm honored. So, Mark, it sounds like you and and, uh, Coach Creech go way
1: back. Well, we do. You know, Coach started coaching at Hastings in what was my freshman year. And, uh, you know, so I was familiar with him, um, played against his teams a bunch, obviously, over the years. And then in 2007, when I was in the market to to be a grad assistant, I sent out resume after resume with rejection after rejection. And. I got one call back, and it was, it was LC, and he uh, has me out for an interview. This is a true story. And uh, we talked on the phone a couple times, and I was supposed to get there at one o'clock for an interview, and uh, he specifically told me not to dress up. Said, you know, don't wear a sh- shirt and tie or anything like that. Said, don't dress up. So I'm sitting here thinking, well, man, I gotta impress this guy, I really want this job. Um, what does this mean? And so I, I wore a pair of dress pants in a you know, Hastings maroon or cardinal red polo, thinking, OK, this is pretty casual. And uh, I was sitting waiting for him. He walks into the athletic offices at Hastings, says hi, we shake hands. And he looks at me and he says, what'd you dress up for? That was the first <laughs> thing he ever said to me.
0: <laughs> and I, and I
1: kind of knew right then it might be a pretty good fit if he and I worked together.
2: Yeah, it was. I think we, uh, we had pretty good success in your time there. And- that we had as our GAs that time. Obviously, yourself and uh, Coach Nick Bros, who had played for me at McCook College and Hastings College. So uh, you two being roommates and 49ers fans and sports buffs. And uh, at that time, especially, you were a little bit more of a food uh, connoisseur Then coached bros, uh, judging by your body type back then. But at the same time, uh, I think you guys got along really well, and it was a very good fit for all three of us.
1: Yeah, it was. And, you know, speaking of brosy, obviously he's had a ton of success coaching at the high school level now too, and, you know, looks like he's got a chance to go to the state tournament again this year. But, um, you know, that was an interesting one, and it was really good for me because he was a couple years older, had a couple of years of coaching under his belt, and so I actually learned a lot from him about how to be an assistant coach. Um, you know, and obviously learned a ton from you, too. But I think between the three of us, we had a pretty good, pretty good thing going with that staff, especially when you and I could gang up on bros and make fun of them. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's always fun. It's easier to do than you would think. But at the same time, um, you know, at Hastings especially, and I, I know that GPAC, the landscape of the Pack as far as assistant coaches has changed. Uh, exponentially since you know the early 2000s i mean uh when i first got to hastings college we had uh, our quote-unquote assistant was a dorm dad s.i.d and men's golf coach so you know the fact that we even called him an assistant basketball coach was tough because there was just no time in the day uh, to do basketball things and you know when i when i was at hastings college as a ga i did so much you know scouting and game prep and that kind of stuff on my own. And then when I went to Cook Community College as the head coach, um, I did not have an assistant. So I did everything on my own. So it wasn't until you and Rosie got hired that I actually felt comfortable delegating that, you know, I I would trust people to uh, do the right thing. And that's when I was able to kind of grow, you know, as a head coach. And when you got people under you that you can trust, then you can kind of let your hair down a little bit as a coach. and You can uh, branch out. You can learn more and you can do more because you know the other things are getting taken care of. So it was good all the way around, and it was it was a very good staff.
0: Lance, in, in your time working with Coach Figuera, was there a point ever where you thought this guy has what it takes to be a head coach someday, or was there a point where you thought of politely maybe directing him into uh, the fast food industry or something else along those lines?
2: I'll say all of the above. (laughs) Um, There were... were, uh, No, in in all honesty, uh, Big Smooth was really good from the jump. I mean, he came in and he... uh, he just gets it. You know, he's a grinder. I mean, he's an early morning guy. He's a late night guy. He's, uh, you know, he's going to say, hey, I was watching Sports center, Did you see the out-of-bounds play? The Lakers ran against the Bulls. You know, I mean, he's always just thinking. And whether he use it or not, and I, I remember this. Definitely, from my time as a grad assistant, I worked for a guy by the name of Coach Trader who was in Hastings, uh, Hastings College for 16 years and just kind of an icon in the, in the NAIA and a very, very good coach. He said, you cannot stop as an assistant. You cannot stop giving me suggestions. He said, 95% of them, I'm going to tell you you're crazy and it'll never work, but it's that 5% that you finally sit back and, and you take a suggestion from an assistant coach and it works. And then there again, you build more trust and all those things. But obviously, you know, in a hyper-competitive world with the Pack and, and trying to win games, uh, there was days I wanted to fire everybody on our staff, myself included. <laughs> um, you know, whether it was a, ho- a hotel reservation or a you know wrong t- turn on a but you know before google maps and all that crap you actually had to look at an atlas i mean there's there's a lot of things going on in a small college basketball program that a lot of guys are in charge of and um so yeah there was there was probably times i wanted to fire everybody and but as far as just the, the characteristics and the want to the work ethic the desire um you know the ability to relate to people the desire to get out want to recruit uh coach figure had all those things right up right out of the
0: gate you said some insightful things there uh but i think the thing that stuck out the most was uh you dropped the name big smooth that's a new one to me is there a story behind the nickname big smooth are
2: you a seinfeld fan at all
0: casual i'm a casual okay. fan. all right
2: well there's you know there's an episode where george costanza gives tries to give himself uh the nickname t-bone <laughs> and i think big smooth brought that with him from dana i don't think it ever took at dana so i think once he got to hastings he thought he could just say yeah this is what my buddies used to call me to call me big smooth so i think that's probably the origin of i was a
1: betting man well I'll, i'm gonna um, i'm gonna give the factual version of that um <laughs> let's hear this. There, there was a very small group of guys at dana who called me that um and there was guys there was a couple of them that were seniors when i was a freshman and, you know, as a freshman, I was on the JV team coming off a broken leg, so I was kind of late to the game as a freshman, and you know, I missed all the preseason stuff. And we're in an early season practice, and the, the JV team's kind of whooping the varsity, one of those days that just irritates you as a coach. And uh, <laughs> coach, coach Fear wasn't thrilled with anything going on, and we were, we were scrimmaging near the end of practice, and I hit a three at the buzzer to win a scrimmage. And one of these seniors – he said oh that's big smooth over there and and so i was like hey that's a good nickname and, and you're right it never really took but uh when i first got to hastings he asked me if there was any nicknames that i had because he, he had a hard time pronouncing Figuera and uh i said well there were some guys that called me big smooth and i tell you what it took off at hastings college and and to this day former players we had you know obviously lc and other guys that were on our staff i mean that's that's still what they call me and there's actually there's a few officials in our league that are from the hastings area that, that have reffed for a while that they still call me that too and our players have heard it every now and again and they kind of question me you know what what's that about and uh you know i just always tell them you ever seen me shoot a jump shot it's pretty obvious <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, your name in my phone is still, it just pops up so smooth with the big Iowa Hawkeye in the background. So, for whatever it's worth. That's it right on the money,
0: man. Me. Yeah. Lance, you've, you said you've listened to the podcast, so uh, you know all about some of the nicknames. We've got uh, Ethan Friedel, who goes by Cheese, and we've talked about nicknames before. Is there a player nickname that stuck out to you in your time coaching at college or the high school level?
2: Uh, one of our assistant coaches uh, who played here at Hastings High School has been assistant since Moby Dick was a minnow. Um, <laughs> he, he, he has license plates that says cheddar. And uh, so, you know, the kids have kind of really caught on. And, and, you know, I've kind of chilled out as a head coach. I kind of i am not as probably strict and by the book i figure if somebody calls me Creech, that's probably the nicest thing they're going to call me all day so i'll just live with it at this point so anytime we're going up and down and we'll come out of a timeout coach simmons is his real name but he'll uh he'll drop something goofy and he'll, whippy. he'll whip my team on it every time and the kids will say hey you guys just got cheddar bombed or you know something <laughs> like that so cheddar is a pretty good one um there's probably several of them that I can't say on air uh, <laughs> just because they were probably created in the locker room. So if you catch my drift, I don't want to gotcha. throw anybody under the bus that way. Um, but I really like the cheddar because it, it's uh, pretty flattering to the guy. And he's, he's a great coach. He's a great guy.
1: He's done a lot for our program. And I think the kids just love him. So I think it kind of it runs through our program pretty easily. So, Coach, you know, we talked a little bit about the time we spent together, which was uh, 07 through 09. I was there for two years, and, you know, we we had some decent success, and I I think at the end of my second year, we were kind of on the verge of breaking out, which you guys did the next year. I left and and took a job at Dickinson State, but that next year, you guys went to the Sweet 16 um, and had a heck of a team. But, uh, you know, thinking of your time coaching at Hastings College, you know, are there any memories that really stand out, you know, obviously you were in the G Pack for a long time. Is there players that stick out? Is there certain games you remember or anything like that? Oh yeah,
2: there's a ton of them. I think probably more, I guess what I would take from it is when I could see the tide turning, you know, and when things kinda of like the light bulb clicked onto my head as far as a coach going, Here's where we've gotta to get to and it was probably a I assume I was probably listening to a Don Meyer clinic tape or something and um, you know, he just said, you've got to get plays and players that are going to be beat the best team on your schedule. And at that time, you know, I first got into the league, Northwestern was coming off national titles and back-to-back national players of the year, and we were bad. I mean, my, you know, the teams I had early on, I mean, I came from a situation in McCook where we won 22 games, conference championship. I was coach of the year in the league. I was thinking I had this thing figured out. And I got into the g pack, and got my teeth kicked in for three straight years. And luckily, they kept me around long enough to get it figured out. But it kind of hit me where, you know, I'm looking at Northwestern and they had a 6'3 point guard and a 6'6 six, six post player and they would switch everything defensively and Heck, we, had, we were huge. We were probably bigger than half the Big Ten at that time, and uh, we couldn't get close enough to foul them. So that's kind of the point about, about your starting point uh, is when our recruiting philosophy changed and we had to get bigger and better guards, and we had to get basketball players. You know, we had to get whether they were great athletically or not, even, you know, the you'll know these names uh smooth like slough and vance and kyle wansley and just tough gritty basketball players a lot like the kind of kids you have now they could make baskets they could all handle the basketball they could all guard uh they were tough kind of small town you know just local area kids and and um you know that's kind of when we really took off we were good we were respectable from about 05 to about 09 um but I don't know that we got really tough and gritty until about 2010, 11, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, and you know, you could see it in flashes. Uh, it just wasn't a consistent basis. And quite honestly, that's when I just kind of stepped away. And, you know, I thought to myself, I recruited these dudes. If I trust them, if I, if I trust them enough to bring them into our program, give them a scholarship and let them get an education then I damn well sure let them make basketball plays and that's when I kind of as a coach stopped micromanaging and, and doing all those things and you know as far as particular games I mean I remember uh the first time we ever beat Northwestern was probably '06 or 07 it was at our place and they came in I think number one or two in the country we weren't ranked we were you know we were kind of that 14 and 8 kind of team at the time and he said respectful you had to prepare for us but you know usually if you took care of business you probably would pull it out if you were a team like Northwestern at the time and we ended up beating them and it was a great game. You know, we were up you know big time they made another push at us, but our kids just kind of buckled in and, and got the win it was like 89-86 something like that created toy went off had close to 30 that mm-hmm. game um, you know the four overtime game at Midland, where Biaslau had 64. That was a pretty big, pretty impressive. Still game. a
1: GPAC record, I believe.
2: Yeah, took him four times to get it, but it was still pretty good effort.
1: Yeah, he'll um, never say that. I'm sure when he talks about it, though.
2: No, he just okay. had 64. He never tells anybody they played an extra half to get it. You know, so probably, you know that that time period. I suppose there's probably a four or five year time period when the, the epiphany opened up for me, and and I started to kind of figure things out uh, I was pretty young when I took the job and like I said I had success micromanaging and you know being a little harder on kids than I probably had to and then as I got older I loosened up and, and just kind of let kids make some plays that you were them to make so it was probably a time period more than it was in a
1: particular game yep yep and I you know obviously in my time with you I I learned a lot um Good and bad, probably, but sure. um, I think Do a couple. You. I think a couple of the things I took from you, you know, I was I was with you through probably your first big transition. Where you think yeah. back, my first year with you, we were huge. We started like six eleven, six seven, six six across our front line, and we played slow, yeah. pretty boring basketball by by my standards now. Sure. Um, you know, and then that off season, we graduated a bunch of size, and we were small. We had a bunch of shooters. And we kind of decided to play fast. And so I guess what I'm saying is what I took from you was think outside the box, you know, look at different ways to do things. Don't be stuck in your ways. And I think what really happened that second year was you really started getting input from the players. And that's something I, I try to do now still, you know, because at the end of the day, we can have this great scheme or scouting report, but it's the kids that have to go execute it and you know if they're 100%. not bought into it if they're not confident with it well it's not going to be very good and exactly. I, I i think i took both those things from you quite a bit and and i think the other one and i'm i'm not trying to flatter you because you know that's the last thing i want to do um I yeah <laughs> you know i i think just the way you treated people always impressed me you know and i think part of it probably goes to your small town roots and growing up in donovan nebraska 800 plus population so, so says the sign um <laughs> But, um, you know, I remember walking across campus with you in my first month or so, and every single person that crossed our paths you said hello to. You know, and I I just think when you're trying to build a program and you're trying to get exposure on a campus, what better way to do that than just be friendly to people?
2: Well, and I think, you know, there's probably some of that. And, and, you know, I was uh, still am really, really hard on our guys. You know, I mean, I uh, – there's just, it just doesn't make sense to me to demand all the things that our kids are going to do in the off season and uh, you know through the summer months and in the weight room and in the gym when, when nobody else is around. And then if they're going to show you that kind of input, then there's expectations. Players set the expectations by, by what they do in the off season. So a coach's job is to hold them to those expectations. So I've always kind of been hard on our guys, but at the same time, I was never afraid to tell them that I loved them. Uh, You know, share uh, a laugh, a hug, a joke, a tear, whatever it may be. And and, um, those are the guys that are paying your check, man. You know, those are the dudes paying your bills. So you better treat them right. And um, I think a lot of it was just in how I was treated. You know, my coaches coached me really hard. And it was a different day and age. You and I played for the same guy. Yeah, we did. He's he's tough, man.
1: That's an understatement.
2: Did not care about your feelings. But at the same time, uh, I know, you know, my family situation growing up, he, he came to me before my senior and said, hey, you need some help buying your basketball shoes. And I mean, that meant the world to me because we didn't have a lot in my family. So, you know, I knew he cared. And I knew he loved me. I knew he, he wanted the best for me. And he's the reason, you know, a big reason that I got into the profession that I'm in. So um, coaches have always been huge in my life as far as growing up. And at the same time, Uh, You know, the older you get, you kind of understand all the little messages they were trying to send you along the way, and nothing better than having a player come back to you five years after and go, Ah, now I know what you meant by, you know, whatever it may be, put in X, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it was it was uh, probably a culmination of a lot of different factors, but um, and I like people. I'm just a people guy. So, somebody who wants to stop and say hi doesn't hurt to compliment their
1: shoes you know what I'm saying yep so you you mentioned you know you and I both played for coach Lance at different high schools and at different times but uh, you and I actually have a lot of connections through some of the same people and places you played at Dickinson State University um, actually played football and basketball there if I'm not mistaken and guy that you played basketball for I I worked with and was was the AD when I was a coach there guy you played football for is one of the great characters and legends of NAI football um you know and and so there's just a lot of overlap in our backgrounds in a lot of ways sure yeah and
2: I think that's probably why you and I still have a good connection you know I mean it's it's relationships and the strength of a relationship is always built on time and that's the one thing that the AD that I work for now I'm an assistant AD here at Hastings High but the gal that I work for she's my age she's uh she went to Hastings College, she's in their Hall of Fame, she was a heck of a basketball player, she's just a tough chick, you know, and, and the one thing that she'll always say is, is how many notes do you write a day? You know, every time she goes, anytime I come in your office, you write somebody a thank you, or a sympathy, or a whatever it may be, and I just think like all relationships are built on time, you know, and, and the more time you have invested in a player, or a group of players, or a a family member, whatever it may be, the better that relationship is going to be. And, and, you know, I I don't know if you remember that. Smooth. I always had that note on my bulletin board by my office. Five notes a day help keep the losses away, especially in this day and age. I think a written note from a coach to a player uh, probably means more than a text message because they get 5,000 of those things a day or Snapchats or Instagrams or whatever they get. Um, But, you know, a handwritten note in the mail makes a big difference in a a perception and uh you know just the building of a relationship so that's you know again kind of going back to upbringing and, and what my mom and grandma tried to instill in me you know as far as building relationships with people
1: yep you know and a quick side note to that um you probably have the best handwriting of anybody in your age bracket that's an adult male
2: i got um two a's in high school all the way through, and that was PE in penmanship, so uh, that's actually when they, you know, you had to write, you couldn't just turn in a typed paper, thank God, because I type about five words a minute, and I write about six words a minute, so everything's done fairly well, it just takes me a little time.
1: Sure, sure, so speaking of some of the connections we have, obviously your connection to Briar Cliff is, is really through me, but I know... You obviously know Nick Nelson really well. You know Todd Berry really well. Um, but there's also another one. You want to explain your connection to Coach Wagner? Coach – oh, Dennis
2: Wagner, yeah. Yeah, shoot. That guy, he, uh, he was the head coach at Wayne State. Uh, and when I, when I was uh, going through, I was, I was a football guy first. I was uh, a quarterback, and I'm a heck of a lot better now uh, than I was back then.
1: Uh, I know that feeling.
2: All the, yes, all the VHS is destroyed, so – it's just me and my memory. And um, the Coach Wagner uh, recruited me, and I actually signed a national letter of intent to play football at Wayne State for him, and then backed out late and ended up playing basketball. Just had re- I had signed right after the football season before my senior year of basketball, and uh, I was kind of uh, crazy when I found out that he got the job at Briarcliff I remember you and I talking, and, and you said something to the effect of, I'm going to mention your name to him because he never forgets a name or anything. And uh, you mentioned my name, and, heck, he could tell you when he recruited me what my hometown was. It was crazy when you told me that story. I couldn't believe
1: it. Yeah, it's amazing. He's a stud.
2: Yeah, he must be. He's, he's done a heck of a job at Barcliffe in a very
1: short time period. Yes, he has. They, uh, tell you what, they were, they were a quarterback injury away from – you know, being on the fringe of the playoffs this year, in my opinion. I'm biased, obviously, but sure. they've done an unbelievable sure. job, him and his staff. When was the last time that was said about practice football? Well, it's never been said. Exactly. You yep. know, so uh, changing courses here, and you, you dropped one of them here a few minutes back, you know, since Moby Dick was a minnow. Okay. You're, you're kind of the king of one-liners. And uh, I've, I've, I've been known to throw a one-liner at Our guys make fun of me a lot. Because I use some of the same ones over and over again, and I always tell them there's really two people that in my life that my one-liners have been stolen from. It's it's my grandpa Barney, and it's you, um, you know. And and some of them are probably not quite appropriate for this podcast, but um, you know, I'm I'm thinking through here. One of my all-time favorites, uh, talking about a player who maybe wasn't the best. I think your line was couldn't play dead in a cowboy movie. <laughs>
2: Yeah, there's a lot of them, and I think that goes, um, you know, I grew up uh, in small towns my whole life around old farmers um, in old taverns, you know, just listening to old farmers talk, and like you said, a lot of them probably aren't PG appropriate at this point, but um, they would always make me giggle because I can remember my dad, he would always, he still does to this day. When he hears something funny, he'll take the back to his hand, he'll pop you in the chest, and he'll giggle like, okay, it's appropriate to giggle, now go ahead, you know. I'm like, Dad, I'm 47 years old, dude, I get the joke now. But when I was a kid, you know, you don't always get them, and sometimes it would take, you know, that, that was one of those aha moments about five years after you heard the one-liner and maybe something finally happened to you in your life and you're like, oh, that's what that meant. So, yeah, one-liners, our kids still... Uh, at our postseason banquet every year, you know, they have creatures that they will um, drag up and they'll say it to senior banquet and all that kind of stuff. One of my latest ones that just on a, about two years ago, we were at your alma mater, Ralston, got beat. And it was in fine fashion, up four with under a minute to go, coming out of a timeout. No jump shots, absolutely no jump shots. We're shooting layups or foul shots. The next two shots are 15 plus foot jumpers. We end up getting beat. Uh, by about two and we were in the locker room after and I, I was trying to keep myself level headed but it just, I, I just exploded and, and I said I will bet you nine dollars that if we follow the game plan and I could just see every kid's eyebrows just kind of crinkle up like nine dollars why the heck would you ever bet nine dollars <laughs> <laughs> and I said because losing nine bucks sucks. Because you got to find a five, and then you got to dig around and find four ones. That's why nine dollars. <laughs> so I had to kind of ad lib that one, but it worked.
0: Uh, I point. Wow, Coach Creed, did, did you find did your approach have to change a little bit going from coaching the college game for for quite some time and transitioning over to the high school game? Did your approach to how you communicate with your players in some of those more heated moments change at all?
2: It should have, but it did not. <laughs> and right, wrong, or other, um, you know, the, the people that I work for are really good. And, and I know I have a better grasp of uh, when I'm wrong than I used to, uh, probably maturity, finally at the age of 47. But at the same time, that's the number one thing that my AD says after every year when we're doing, our postseason is your language has to change. And I say, I know, Tracy, it does have to change, but our footwork has to get better. And if I don't tell them with my language about their poor footwork, they don't get the message. So it's, it's a never-ending battle. Um, you know, but like Coach Meyer says, you know, be who you is, if you ain't who you is. be who. He, uh, what is this smooth?
1: Oh, my gosh, you just destroyed that. It's be who you yeah, is because if you ain't, ain't who you is, you ain't who you are or something like that. I don't yeah, know. I used to say yeah, that all the time.
2: Yeah, but, you know, you just got to be who you are, and I, and I get it. It's not always appropriate, but at the same time, um, you know, it's not like I call a player a specific thing. They may play like that, but at the same time, you know, kids, if I ever offend a kid, I have no problem apologizing. So uh, at this point, knock on wood, I
0: haven't been called to the carpet too much. Here's one I've, I've, uh, I meant to ask last time we had a, another coach on uh, the podcast here. So I'll just ask you. What do you consider your worst coaching moment in your coaching history? And I'm talking about X's and O's. Oh, boy. Uh, Man, man, there's quite a few. I'm going to say my first year as a head coach, we were dreadful.
2: Uh, I was at McCook Community College. We were at Western Nebraska up 17 late in the second half. Western Nebraska at the time was like 13 in the country. Had a player, big smooth, you'll know this name, Tommy King. Uh, yeah, he was, was okay. Eight. He was pretty dang good. And we had held him in check. And we were on the road. We weren't supposed to be up 17. We probably shouldn't have been able to score 17 with that group. But um, we were really clicking. And then all of a sudden, you know, you can hear some puckering going on. It's just <laughs> out on the floor. And, and I thought the refs were, uh, you know, giving it to us. And I met an official at half court. If you've ever seen Bull Durham, you'll know my <laughs> my uh, take on that. I called him the magic word and I got rung up. So our lead went from 17 to about nine in about one and a half possessions. Oh, man, man, it just felt like somebody kicked me in the teeth. Um, <laughs> so that was bad. And I don't know if that's necessarily an X's and O's moment, but I just remember <laughs> at that point, like, how stupid could you be to do this to your team? But, uh, again, I didn't have an assistant coach, you know, tugging on my coattails to keep me seated. So uh, that's probably the worst memory I have as far as cheating my team.
0: What's, uh, what's the better McDonald's in Hastings? The one on the north side or the one down by the fairgrounds? Uh,
2: north side, no question.
1: Yeah, that, uh, that's still a sore subject with me. Yeah. We, we, yeah, we had just, an incident last you year. you were at the wrong McDonald's. Yeah, we were at the wrong one last year. That was after you gave me the famous, uh, statue and pigeon quote. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, you were definitely the statue on that moment. Yes, we were. Um, so you and I have, uh, pretty different, uh, sideline fashion. You want to talk about sweater vest and how that got started with you?
2: Yes, absolutely. I, I used to be a coat and tie guy, you know, when I was young and had the energy to iron everything I owned every once a week. And, um finally, you know, I I got to the point where I was wearing a coat and tie on the road, or at home, and then on the road, I would just have a nice sweater vest, and it was actually you are the one that prompted me into going straight sweater vests, and where my um, eclectic sweater vest collection started is when I think it was, I don't know who it was on the Dana team, but asked Coach Fear, is that all that guy wears, A sweater vest? (laughs) So then it just took off, and I have every color under the rainbow, and...
1: And you Just, have one that actually looks like a rainbow. Yes, yes, that's a that's really a great sweater too. By the way, um, probably can't
2: get in it anymore. It's, it's probably an XL. I'm struggling with the two X fashion right now. So, uh, but yeah, the sweater vest, man, it's classic. It's still we still have sweater vest night here at Hastings High School once a year.
1: Um. All right. We all know the answer to this. Who's the best grad assistant you had at Hastings College? Man, that
2: actually, you're going to set yourself up thinking it was you, <laughs> um, but I put those in categories, all right, because uh, Coach Ferringer, who's out of Western Nebraska right now, was a phenomenal uh, player workout. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he that dude... I mean, he wouldn't watch a stitch of film, but that dude would watch NBA all night long. and come up with crazy moves and crazy workouts and different things for the kids. Lived on YouTube. Um, loved being in the gym, just working dudes out. And he was really, really good. Still is. He's phenomenal yeah, for sure. with that stuff. Um, but I would say that's probably, you know, the best thing about you and Brosie is you were both so hyper-competitive that, that was our best group because you guys tried to outdo each other. On scouting reports, on statistics, you know, I would say this kid's averaging 17 and some change, and then you would kind of pipe in a uh, 17.8 coach. You know, I mean, you, you
1: two. You know what, Nick Nelson's going to listen to this and laugh uh, yeah. when he hears that.
2: Yeah, so uh, as far as grocery shoppers, you were the two worst uh, pre-game grocery shoppers we ever had in our program.
1: Why? So, why do you say that?
2: Because you intentionally sabotaged one of our pre-game meals by buying plantains versus bananas. <laughs> no, that's the,
1: you, you got bananas. You're, you're remembering this wrong, and I got to give the background here. You kept getting mad at us because you wanted the biggest, greenest bananas that we could find yes. for pre-game, and we got a bunch of bananas, but we got you one plantain that was enormous and green and you couldn't get it, figure out how to open the thing because it doesn't peel like a banana, you said a couple expletives, threw it in the trash can, and kicked us out of your office.
2: Well, it's a simple job, dude. It's a banana. <laughs> figure it out.
1: Who's the best player you coached at Hastings College?
2: Um, Corey Franker.
1: Yeah, yeah coach I, I, I have no arguments there. He was a stud. He was, he was, he was really, a stud. He was a stud. He was a senior my first year and actually went down with a knee injury halfway through and yeah. really hurt us that year. But he, I tell you what, you want to? he was probably the first guy I coached. I can't even call him a kid. He's like six months younger than me or something like that. Right. Um, you know, he, he was the first one that, in hindsight, I probably didn't realize it at the moment, he challenged me to be a better coach. Total, because of insane, the way insane. he looked at the game and the the work ethic he brought, and um, you know all those things, it just it just made you a better coach by coaching him.
2: Yeah, you felt inappropriate sometimes if at a timeout he would change, you know, a straight cut to a tight cut based on what they were doing. Like he saw things, that's why he's a good coach, yep. obviously. Um, um, so yeah, I think he was really good. But there again, you know, I just there's so many kids that created toy was probably the best shooter uh was no conscience whatsoever i mean he could airball four in a row and he still wanted the next shot you know a lot yep. of guys will pass it away uh bobby kemp seven foot dude that had footwork like crazy um brady loman i mean there we got a
1: couple dudes really, right there yeah
2: you know it's a really good play. but Corey was probably the guy that like you just said, made me a better coach, made me look at things a little bit differently. And that was probably the start of my time really going, okay, some of these dudes really got to figure it out. Let them take care of the locker room. I'll take care of the office and, and the, the things that are going to make them better,
1: you know, right. better food, better gear, better <laughs> arrangements, you know, just things like that. They, they're good enough to figure out how to win. Yeah, and Cray was Cray, – I, I played against Cray. He's a year younger than me. He's the one guy that uh, you probably had in your whole time at Hastings College that would be the absolute perfect fit for the way we play at Briar Cliff. Oh, my God, you would love him, wouldn't you? Yeah,
2: he could fill it up.
0: Lance, who who gave you the most headaches from Briar Cliff in your time coaching at Hastings? Um,
2: man, Shipley was tough. That dude was a matchup nightmare. Uh, I'm glad we coached him. I coached against him when he was younger and he was still a little soft. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Still is. That. He still is. Uh, he was He was tough. Who was the kid that had kind of an Italian name? He always came off that star
0: cut. we uh, had
2: a Yes. Kyle yes. We had a hard time guarding that cat, man. We couldn't guard him very well. Um, one of my favorites uh, was the Collison Kidding. I don't even know if he ever scored against us, but he was a lot of fun to be around. Uh, He played his tail off. I liked him as a person. He was a great teammate. He was all those things. Uh, But I would probably say Ship Ship was pretty dang good.
1: Yeah, he was. All right, so this week we have two listener questions, actually two from the same listener, um, and they're both for you, Coach. Um, And these come from Mark Esser, who you obviously know is is one of my best friends, teammate at Dana, played against you for four years. Um, So he has two questions for you. Um, it's Here's his email. I know the special guest Lance Creech this week pretty well, so I want to ask him a few questions. Number one, how many times did Jason Isaacson go to the foul line against Hastings? Every. Is
2: every a number? <laughs> if every was a number, that's the number that Isaacson went to the foul line. The biggest cheater flopper. I, he, played, he, he should have played a Duke. He flopped. <laughs> and sold the flop he, he could be a multimillionaire running camps to just take it how do you flop at 19 feet how do you
1: do that <laughs> and, and a little context uh jason isaac's another teammate of mine at dana but actually was a guy played at briar cliff for two years um, before he transferred to dana so he's got a little connection not just with me but with briar cliff's program as well really really good player though yes he was 20 25 26 a game when we were seniors Smart yeah. player, not very athletic, but he knew how to play. He knew how to flop. <laughs> and uh, I think reading these questions, Esther's just trying to uh, provoke you a little bit. Number two, number two. who was the 2005-2006 GPAC Defensive Player of the Year?
2: Um, I would assume for how many games did we play at that time in the GPAC? Was it 16?
1: I think we were at 18 then, but it could have been 16. Don't quote me. And no, you know what, well, Coach? It was 18. We had 13 in the league at that point. Okay, okay.
2: So, for uh, 16 games, I think it was Esser. But there was two <laughs> games every year where you wouldn't know if that dude was on the floor, and that was when he faced Bobby Kemp from Hastings. So, for 16 games, yeah, he was probably the best defensive player in the league, no doubt, until the Broncos and Bobby Kemp rolled in the gym, and then he cowered like a little schoolgirl. <laughs>
1: Uh, all right man well hey thanks for coming on i'll talk to you soon all
2: right take care boys thanks, thanks Lance.
0: see ya all right we're gonna wrap things up here with our shout out section coach i think you have a couple
1: of them i do i want to give my first shout out uh to the guy who we just had on with us lance creech um you know one he's an avid podcast listener listens to ours every week and uh you know i alluded to this a little bit but you look at my post college life there's very few people that have had as big of an impact on my life as he did you know and he's a guy that really gave me my first chance in coaching and and because of that I wouldn't be where I was if not for him and and so the relationship he and I have been able to maintain in the last you know 10 years now since we worked together has been pretty awesome he's a guy I would consider a great friend Um, it's been fun to watch he's got two boys who are pretty dang good basketball players it's been fun to watch them grow up and and become good players so that's my first one my second one as we start the new year I have to give a shout out to my wife Kara Um, you know number one she puts up with me through basketball season which I don't think I'm always the most fun person to be around um, especially after a loss Um, but uh, she also she made the trip to Phoenix with us and anybody that can put up with not only me our whole coaching staff, and our entire team for a full week, um, I think that probably deserves a shout-out.
0: Yeah, I'm going to kind of go with one kind of along those same lines and give a shout-out to my wife. Uh, she recently started working at CNOS, and I know she's been helping out behind the scenes, getting things ready for the upcoming CNOS Classic, which starts this week. And like we talked about earlier, Briarcliff will be playing in this Saturday. So uh, shout-out to Mallory Gall for all the work and that you and everyone else has put in to make that event happen. It's a great event to highlight local high school and college hoops boom all right so that'll do it for this first 2019 edition of the bc buckets podcast don't forget to send in your listener questions we need to keep those coming we're pretty dry right now on those so we need a few to get us going for the next few episodes so you can shoot those to us on twitter at bc buckets cast or through our email address at bc buckets podcast at gmail.com on behalf of coach figuera and behalf of kevin and bobby who aren't here uh, and myself thanks for listening we'll catch you next week